You're listening to Out of Nowhere, a series featuring emergent brands with somewhat unexpected origins. Your host is Justin Watkins of Native Digital, a marketing firm specializing in brand messaging and performance media. Let's jump in. I knew I wanted to get in, involved in something that was reducing our reliance on animal consumption, on animals as a commodity. Um, so, so that's kind of step one. Um, then there's kind of the conversation around, well, is it plant-based? Is it alternative proteins? Is it cultivated meat? Um, you know, I have, a, I have a strong understanding of, of all the different players in the space. And to me, um, once I met the team at Omeet, it was a no-brainer. Um, our approach to the technology, our approach to actually scaling the science, um, you know, I'm obviously biased, but to me, Omid has the, the best chance of, of actually scaling cultivated meat for the masses. And, and that's that's the reason why I'm, I'm investing all my time and energy into this. Yeah. Did you feel like this was a logical next step for you? Or do you feel like in some ways it was a surprise that, that you're in this position that you're in today? It, it was a total surprise. So um, after after the athletic, I, I didn't really have any drive to jump right into a startup again and just start building. Um, you know, uh, anyone who's done it knows how exhausting it is. Uh, you lose a lot of sleep. Um, you know, it's it's simultaneously, you know, the best thing and the worst thing you're doing at the same time. Uh, it takes a lot out of you. So I told myself I wasn't going to do it again, but. Um, you know, by happenstance, I met uh, I met Will Schaefer, who who is our, our chief marketing officer um, at an event, um, and he started telling me, "Hey, you know, I'm working on this new project." Uh, he had he had since you know long since departed uh, Beyond and, and started this new thing. Um, so yeah, he told me a little bit about it. I, I came out and met the team, and and I knew right away I, I wanted to do this. So um, you know, dove right in basically. That's cool. Let's talk a little bit about Omi because there's a lot yeah. of conversation around alternative proteins. And I think people, the average consumer is learning about it, hearing about it, probably hasn't really studied the nuances of it. And Omi kind of represents uh, a kind of a unique offering in my view um, compared to what else is out there. Like how would you categorize the landscape of options today and where do you see, like, what is so unique about Omi? Cause you're, you're pretty high on this. Like, obviously you're biased, yeah. right? but you're high on this. Why is it that Omi gets your vote? Yeah. Um, the, the, the simple answer, I'll give you the, the kind of the bottom line and then we can zoom out and talk about it a little bit. To me, our approach to cultivated meat saves the most animals, the soonest or the fastest. Um, so that's kind of the, the bottom line. Um, when you're talking about alternative proteins, it's, it's a pretty vast landscape. You have plant-based options, things like Beyond and Impossible. You have blended products. So there's cultivated fat companies that are putting fat in plant-based products to give them more, more flavor and, and things like that. You have blended products that are things like 50-50. So uh, mushroom or mycelium products that are taking half meat and half plant-based or half fungal um, you know, solutions and blending them together so that we can start reducing our, our reliance on animals. And then of course you have, you have cultivated meat where the goal is to have hundred percent cultivated products. Um, so people are essentially eating exactly what they know and love, but with none of the downsides, um, no animals are slaughtered and, and, you know, reducing our, 
carbon footprint and, and things like that. So, you know, within cultivated, um, there's a lot of things to consider, right? The, the fundamental science is, is centered around FBS, fetal bovine serum. Uh, there are other, other solutions out there, recombinant proteins, things like that. Um, companies that are exploring ways to not use these serums at all. Uh, but, but the bottom line is FBS has been around for decades. It's something that's been used in academia and research for a long time. So it's, it's a logical jumping off point for the cultivated meat industry to, to start. Cells grow well in it. They respond really well to it. Um, so, so it just kind of, it, it made sense for, for the industry to start there. The problem with FBS is number one, uh, for me is that it's, it's, it's unethical. Um, it requires the, the slaughter of, of an animal, um, it, in this case, two animals, the mother cow and the fetus. Um, you know, you'll hear the argument that it's a, it's a byproduct of, of, of the existing, um, animal slaughter industry which is technically true, but there's a high demand for FBS. It's already over a billion dollar industry and it's only growing, right? And with cultivated meat, it's only gonna, gonna expect to grow even, even further. Um, so, so for me, uh, our approach to, to cultivating meat is essentially to keep the animal in the equation, right? We still use an adult cow and, and what our team of scientists and our CEO have discovered is that you can draw plasma from an animal. We have a, a, a proprietary process where we process that plasma and it becomes a product that we call Plenty. Um, and, and the name is very much, you know, intended to show that you can use this to create an abundance of, of meat with, with none of the downsides. Um, we don't have to slaughter the animal. We can uh, create much more of it for a fraction of the cost of FBS, which is the second point. FBS is extremely expensive because it's extremely limited in, in supply. So if you put all those pieces together, it's a much more ethical solution. Um, we can create much more of it at a much better price point, which means that ultimately we can scale cultivated meat faster, which means we can save animals sooner. The bottom line. That's cool. I, a lot of this, I'm, I'm thinking through of like what the industry's reaction to Omid is, as well as like the everyday person who is considerate of their diet, um, which is not the entire population. Right. But there's people yeah. who are starting to reevaluate their diets and things like that and, and look at these new solutions. And when I think of the everyday person who's considering that, I, I can hear them saying, uh, I'm trying all these plant-based. I'm looking for the one that has the most similar taste. I'm going to miss real meat uh, because I'm starting to move this way fairly quickly. Um, but I understand it's hard on the climate, a super inefficient process. And I think what you would probably, I'm not, hopefully I'm not putting words in your mouth, but what you would say is, hey, you don't have to miss uh, that, that taste. That yeah. taste can still exist, but there's ways to do it that are more efficient, that are actually, you know, good for the animal as well and incorporates them into the process. We call this person the conscious carnivore. Um, you know, it's it's somebody that that understands that there's a lot of baggage that comes with meat consumption, especially, you know, when you're talking about a scale eight, 10 billion people in, in the in the years to come. Um, but but you know, it's part of their diet. Maybe there's a heavy cultural component to, to eating meat. And that's something that we want to consider as well, right? We don't want to just say, look. Once you understand the ethics of the thing, you're going to make the right decision. It's just not how people think. It's certainly not how people interact with their food, right? Um, food is something that's that's very personal. 
Um, you know, we have a, we have an intimate relationship with our food. It's something that's cultural. It's something that's passed down to us. So we need to consider all of these things. And I think that's, that's why something like cultivated meat is so important. It, it gives us the opportunity to allow people to, to keep the best parts of our food um, while hopefully eliminating the, the worst parts of it as, as soon as we can. Yeah. Well, a big part of the uh, climate conversation is just these in it wildly inefficient processes that we have. It requires so many inputs to get this small of an output. How does OMIT compare on that scale? Yeah. So, you know, because we don't slaughter an animal and because we can go back and draw plasma from that same animal over and over again over the years, not only can we extend the lifespan of that animal, give it an opportunity to live a much longer, much uh, more natural life, um, but we can create much more meat from one animal. Um, which is which is kind of the the most important point here, right? So you know, at scale, we'll be able to reduce the animal population by you know upwards of ninety ninety five percent while still meeting the demand for in this case beef, you know, the, our first product that we're focusing on, uh, meeting the demand that that people have to to actually be be consuming beef. So you know, once you kind of get into that, the math the math is pretty clear, right? You're you're reducing the total number of animals that you need. The reason we have factory farming today is because it's much more efficient at scale to cram a bunch of animals into one place um, and, you know, to meet the, the growing demand of meat consumption. Well, if you're meeting that demand uh, via cultivated meat, then you certainly don't need CAFOs. You can eliminate factory farming, which is, you know, the number one, um, you know, focus area for, for me, because that's where most of the cruelty is, most of the pollution is, most of the carbon emissions are, um, it's, it's focused in those areas. And we can start to return more to a, a world where small independent ranchers and farmers are maintaining smaller herds of animals that are naturally grazing, you know, rotationally eating their natural grasses and things like that, that are found on these farms, uh, you know, ideally a regenerative farm. Um, and we can be drawing plasma from those animals and, and using it to create cultivated meat. So, you know, it, it's, it's having your meat and eating it too, right? I mean, it just, it just kind of works out that way where uh, drawing plasma from the animals allows us to create cultivated meat that offsets the demand that's currently coming from factory. Yeah. I mean, that number you just uh, rattled off, 90-something percent, that's an astounding number. Um, but yeah. you, but you also go on to say that it incorporates independent farmers, which I think is pretty interesting. Well, think about it. It makes sense, right? You know, you spend three to four years raising one single animal and then you slaughter that animal and that's all the meat that you get. Right. But if you're co consistently coming back to that same animal, that animal's alive, you're drawing plasma from it and you're using that to create the meat products. Um, you can get, you can, you know, get much more out of one animal. And, you know, considering most cows are usually slaughtered in the first three years anyway, you could, you could extend the lifespan of that cow. Cows can live upwards of 17, 18, uh, in some cases, 20 years in, in perfect conditions, right? So, you know, it, it gives the cow the opportunity to live out its natural lifespan and you could be drawing plasma from that animal for a much longer period of time to, to create meat. Yeah. So this is part of the story that you heard when you first met the founding team. Like what part of the story were you surprised to hear that, you know, because you're fairly educated in this area. Yeah. Like what was there a part of that story where like, oh, wow, I didn't realize this. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, the, the thing that honestly that surprised me the most is, is as an entrepreneur, right, in my mind, I always think, OK, as soon as something better comes along, it'll it'll immediately undermine whatever the legacy 
technology or system or whatever is. Um, I was surprised at, at, at how ingrained FBS is in academia and in research. You know, even though better things are available, it, it's, it's very difficult to, to get people to, to change, right? Um, you know, it, it works. It's been around since the 70s, um, especially if you're you know, a researcher in academia, you're getting funding from elsewhere. So you're not really thinking about how much it's going to cost me to purchase all these all this FBS. Um, you know, I think that was the thing that that surprised me the most is that nobody had really bothered to go out there and find something better because it, it because the thing that they have access to is getting the job done. Um, as an entrepreneur, you're always kind of thinking, okay, well, what's the better solution? Can I improve this? How can I make this even better, even cheaper, even, you know, more efficient for humanity? Um, and, uh, and, you know, my first question was always, nobody else had thought of this. Nobody else had actually, you know, gone through the, 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 the trouble of, of drawing plasma from adult cows and then seeing if you can make cultivated meat with it. Um, so that was kind of the big surprise to me. Um, and, and, you know, it, once, once we've kind of made that discovery, the, the rest of the pieces just kind of started falling into place naturally. That's cool. So in the early days or years, or even today, right now, are there misconceptions that you run into when you're talking with partners or others who are involved and that you would love to correct where you say, actually, that's, that's not true. That's actually not how that works. Or that's, you know, let me, let me change your position on this. Yeah, I mean, there's a few, right? And 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 I think cultivated meat is, is still such a young industry, a young product that there's already all kinds of, of, of misconceptions about it. I think the first one, um, you know, putting the consumer aside for a second, just kind of from the entrepreneurial perspective and, and, and scaling a cultivated meat company, you know, it's certainly not like growing a tech company or a SaaS company or something like that, right? Ones and zeros, they work on your time. If you want to spend more time coding, you can get the job done faster, right? Biology has a tendency to do its own thing and work on its own time. So um, you can't just put in more time and get the job done faster. Cells and, and just biology in general will, will often surprise you. It'll do things that you don't expect it to do. They'll grow fast. They'll grow slow. You know, things like that are always are always happening in biology. And I think that there just needs to be an appreciation that, you know, biotech um, is different than than SaaS. It's different than just, you know, a traditional Silicon Valley tech company. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of appreciation that you need to have for biology. Uh, it's a humbling exercise, I guess, to, to put it to put it simply from the consumer perspective. Uh, I, I think there's there's a whole laundry list there, right? You know, I, I'm not a I'm not a fan of of the word uh, lab grown meat because I think it 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 kind of implies that there's something um, there's something you know about the way we approach it that's uh, that's more synthetic than than you know what what traditional meat is. I think you know there's there's this misconception that when you buy conventional meat at the store that it is just an animal that's slaughtered and there's nothing else going on there right but if you're th talking about um you know industrial animal agriculture um you know there's a lot of prophylactic antibiotics that are used uh, the majority of the antibiotics that we use in the united states is going towards animals as a prophylactic because they're in such confined conditions um you know things like uh, things like immortalized cells and cultivated meat. These are cells that'll that'll grow perpetually, um, being you know framed as as something like a cancer cell. Well, you know, bad news. You know, the conventional meat that we eat is 
completely riddled with cancer. The animals that we eat have cancer uh, because of the way that, you know, the environments that they're in and things like that. And there's no removing that from our food system. So, you know, the bottom line is because of the way we approach cultivated meat, it's often much safer with much less ingredients, much cleaner, no antibiotics, things like that, right? So, you know, even though it is a new approach to, to growing animal cells and ultimately creating, creating you know, nutritious meat, uh, it, it has very few of the downsides that you'll find in industrial animal agriculture at scale because we don't need to be thinking about those things because we're not cramming a bunch of animals together into one place. Quick, you, you just reminded me of a quick story. I, I grew up in a town where the largest employer was a pork producer, one of the major pork producers in the country. And a friend of mine's uh, dad worked there and he was a uh, biologist, I assume, I guess I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. But I said, what do you what do you do? Like, what do you do as a scientist for this company? He goes, you know how when you get a pork chop and there's that kind of like diaper underneath it that soaks up the blood? He goes, I make sure there's less blood. He's like, that's yeah. what we're using all these scientific -y things to do. And as a kid who was probably 16 at 16, 17 at the time, I was like, oh, wow, there's. I, I think I have no idea like what's going on and what they're capable of doing in the way they kind of manipulate the biology of these animals and things yeah. like that. And and we, and you probably have a, a different story of kind of like your awakening of like, Oh wow, this is much different than what I assume now that I'm learning more about it. But to, to yeah. your point about, Hey, natural versus synthetic versus optimized. There's a lot more to it than I think most consumers realize. I, you know, make it pretty simple for, for a person that's going on this, walking this path, going on this journey of, of learning about their food. I mean, just Google what a, what a real wild chicken looks like and Google what a chicken looks like from a, from a, you know, a factory farm that's, that's raising chickens for slaughter. These are not the same animals, right? One is much bigger. It gets much bigger sooner. You know, that's, that's not by accident, right? Um, there's, there's a lot going on there in terms of how these animals are being genetically manipulated to be bigger faster, right? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's such a far cry from what an actual animal is that, that we started eating, you know, however long ago. Um, and I think all of that has to be considered when you're thinking about what am I putting into my body every single day? And I think, you know, lining up cultivated meat with the realities of meat production at scale, um, that's, that's an interesting conversation to have. And I think that's the conversation we should be having. People yeah. just don't know. And, and there's a lot of, of misinformation around how traditional, uh, you know, conventional meat is, is, is grown certainly in the United States. What I'm taking away from this is if you're talking to, if there's a consumer who says, I'm not a fan of this because I want something that's natural. The counterpoint to that would be yes, but you don't know what natural is. Uh, what you have is already <laughs> incredibly modified. Uh, what we're doing is we're trying to optimize it even further and take away some of the negative externalities and different things that are a part of the current process. If you want natural, you're not on it right now. And go for it uh, if you want to, but don't be confused and think what you're doing right now is natural. Absolutely. Right. And I think, you know, there, there's certainly a market for uh, grass fed, free range, this and that, you know, the, the problem with those labels is, is often that there's not a clearly defined, you know, central body that says, okay, this is what free range is. This is what, you know, grass fed is. And even in cases where there, where there are, you know, de definitions, it's, it's often very, very nebulous, right? Um, still animals crabbed, uh, crammed in, in confined conditions, right? Um, so I think, you know, to me, the way I think of it is 
humanity domesticated animals now we're domesticating cells right and it's it's an opportunity for us to get even more granular with more nuance um you know a better control of biology just means that we can create products that are better for humanity better for the planet when we have that level of control over the biology it just means that we can do more fine-tuned more nuance to to the food that we're we're growing and eating that's cool we've talked a lot about the misconceptions and what people might say uh, who don't understand it, who have been some of the early fans, the ones who are like, Oh, this is great. Like we were, we were ready for this. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I think overall, uh, people are very enthusiastic about cultivated meat. Most of the conversations I have, whether it's with investors or journalists or just, you know, friends of mine, um, there's, there's an immediately an element of curiosity to it, you know, Oh, I heard something about this. Tell me more Then there's like a million questions, um, that I'm always happy and, and excited to answer. So I think the sentiment is generally positive. You know, people have the understanding that the path that we're walking down as a civilization is a problematic one. You know, we're from, from a climate change perspective, right. Things like that, the ethical, um, you know, side with, with the animals, but, we're not often presenting people with a solution. So I think there's just a lot of excitement with, with knowing that, hey, okay, maybe there are some solutions to our problems. Maybe I don't think that I can immediately drop all my meat consumption and animal consumption today. Um, because, you know, it's, it's hard for people, you know, you live your life, day, you know, day in and day out. It's hard to just say, okay, I'm going to just become vegan overnight. But if you present them with an actual solution where you say, look, we're going to meet you most of the way there. We're going to start creating these cultivated products. Um, and you can still enjoy the meat that you love with none of the downside. Uh, I think that's very appealing and very exciting for people. Um, and, and certainly uh, it makes me optimistic. And I think, I think, you know, it's exciting for me to speak from a perspective of we have solutions to a lot of the biggest challenges that we're facing as a civilization. Um, so it's, it's naturally a very positive, very encouraging conversation to have with people. Yeah. That's cool. Well, in terms of where you are today for OMI and maybe even just the industry in general, if you start looking down the road, five, 10, however many years, like what's your kind of forecast for how things are going to develop? Like where, where do you see this going? Yeah. So I think, you know, there's kind of the, the immediate future, which I would say is probably the next five to 10 years. And then I also like to kind of think a little bit about what is, what's the end game here? Where are we heading? Um, in the next five to 10 years, I mean, you know, cultivated products are going to be on the market. They're going to be, you know, uh, people are going to be used to eating them. I, I think, you know, the, the logical starting point is, um, you know, foods that are that are easily accessible that maybe, in my opinion, are, are, are the foods that are not the culturally driven foods. You know, I'm on my way home in a pinch. I'm going to go grab a burger or something like that. Um, you know, I think those are kind of the easiest ones to, to replace with, with cultivated products. Um, I think over time, you know the holy grail of cultivated foods is going to be the whole cut. Um, so at some point in the future, when we start understanding how can we actually make whole cuts, steaks, things like that uh, for people to enjoy, I think those are going to be, you know, those are on the horizon, but certainly a little bit more challenging than like a ground beef burger or something like that. Long, long term, if I'm, if I'm, you know, head in the clouds thinking about where is this all headed? Uh, I think, you know, just kind of mastery over our food in general of, of, of proteins. And, you know, you can envision a world where, there's no reason why we have to cultivate a chicken or cultivate a cow, but rather it's, you know, just a custom protein blend specific to an individual um, that meets their needs. That's, you know, um, doesn't have any antibiotics or GMOs or things like that, but it's just, 
specific to what I want. You know, I'm looking for a specific type of protein, um, custom build it to, to meet my needs, right? Mastery over our food, I think, is, is, is kind of where this is all headed. Um, you know, you can think of it, right? We have, we have foods today that are, that are, you know, made specifically the way we want them. But for animals, right, we, we still raise them and we still slaughter them. Well, there's no reason why we can't have mastery over, over that type of food as well um, and create something that's, that's specific to, to, to our needs. And, and I think I can see a future where, where we go towards, you know, it's not even really an animal. It's just, it's just a specific, uh, you know, type of protein that we make uh, for people to enjoy. That's cool. That's fun to think about of, you know, what that could be. Um, yeah. and that's of course, pie in the sky stuff. That is who knows, but you know, that's, that's certainly one future. That yeah. I but it starts with the possibility and a vision for that. And people talk about it. And I think once you start to think about those things and what you see, what's available today, you're like, well, yeah, of course that seems inevitable because with it, this is maybe where we're going to go. I think that's interesting. Um, yeah. uh, are there, are there hurdles that are yet to be cleared by either Omid or the industry that are sort of in your view, like, uh, it's frustrating that we have to clear this hurdle. Like this is an yeah. unnecessary hurdle, whether it's, you know, consumer demand or entrenched interests or lobbyists in DC or things of that nature. Are there things that you're like, ah, I, that's an unnecessary hurdle? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a glass half full guy. I think, you know, largely the hurdles that are in front of us, um, you know, where there's a hurdle, there's a solution. Um, so I don't think that there's anything really directly in front of us that seems insurmountable at this point. Um, the science is sound. It works. Um, you know, we've, we've demonstrated it at Omeet that we can, we can start scaling it. Other companies in the space um, are already, you know, demonstrating that they can scale it. So the science is sound. Um, I would say, you know, FBS and, and just kind of the the growth media is is a hurdle. But, you know, we've we've already uh, solved that at Omid. And I think other companies are either going to, you know, eventually do something similar by partnering with with a company like Omid or, or potentially finding a solution that that works for them. So I think that there's there's a hurdle that's that's already cleared there. Um Right now, public sentiment is, is positive. I think, frankly, you know, the cost of meat over time is only going to increase. It is extremely inefficient to raise an animal for slaughter. Um, eventually, the cost of cultivating meat is going to be cheaper than than conventional meat. So, you know, I think that that's something that'll just naturally happen with with uh, with the scaling of, of cultivated meat over time. Um, and, and honestly, the FDA and the USDA have shown that they're, you know, uh, you know, having this conversation. They've approved two companies already um, in the United States. And once things get approved in the United States, the rest of the world will, you know, tends to tends to follow. So I'm, I'm really optimistic. I think that there's, you know, all the pieces seem to be lining up in a way that's uh, that's allowing for cultivated meat to to ultimately be something that uh, that people are going to be eating all over the world. And frankly, I think, you know it's a necessity too, right? I think when you think about food security and food sovereignty for any nation, uh, not just the United States, uh, it, it is a matter of, of national security, right? Where are we going to get our food from, you know, as we add, you know, more billions of people to, to the planet as climate change continues to impact our world and change the way we, you know, raise animals, but not just raise animals, but have to also grow the food that we feed those animals, right? I think people often don't think about that part of the equation. We're not just growing plants to feed ourselves. We have to feed those animals, right? So where's all that food going to come from? Um, how are we going to do that at scale? It is a matter of, of national security. So I think that a lot of countries are seeing, okay, 
we have a vested interest in making sure that cultivated meat happens because if nothing else, it gives us another uh, another way to to provide food for our populations, assuming that the the systems that exist today, you know, don't start to feel the strain of, of under climate change. Um, so it just makes sense to to you know support cultivated meat. I mean, that's another strong point we really hadn't addressed yet in this conversation is just the is land scarcity and and resources uh, that go into it. I mean, that's a very strong point, I think, for this. And we, we talk about efficiencies, but I think. Uh, until you realize the scarcity of some of these resources um, and the path that we're on, it's not really sustainable. Well, I mean, you could, you know, let's, let's use a real world example there, right? Right now, the Colorado river is experiencing, you know, a shortage of water that's, that's never been seen before. And, you know, there are, there are farms all along the, the Colorado river and, you know, a very large percentage of that pie of that water is going to grow alfalfa. Alfalfa is used to feed animals that we ultimately raise for slaughter. So, you know, we also export export a lot of our alfalfa to other countries, to, to China and to Saudi Arabia and things like that. So we're literally exporting our water from a source that's, you know, dwindling and, and uh, has less and less water every single year so that we can raise animals, right? Um, it's an extremely inefficient process and it's happening. It's happening right now. It's happening today. And we have the ability to solve that problem by, you know, removing the, the large majority of those animals from the equation and creating cultivated products instead, which also frees up that, that water to grow more plants for human consumption, right? Because we don't have to feed these animals anymore. So not only are we, you know, using that, you know, replacing animals with cultivated meat, but we're also freeing up that water, freeing up that land so that we can feed even more people. Yeah, that really drives it home, I think. It's really clear that you're invested in this and pretty passionate about it. When you're when you're going through a busy day, like what what part of what you're doing right now like really drives you forward? Like what makes this rewarding for you? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, to me, this is an unlimited fuel source. You know, our food system is one of the biggest problems, if not the biggest problem that that we're dealing with, you know, as a human civilization, right, on a global scale. Um, you know, our food production is tied to, you know, our emissions, it's tied to our energy, it's tied to our water, it's fundamental for human survival. I mean, water and food, right? What else is there, right? So, you know, to me, when, when I'm thinking about the work that we're doing, or we're having a hard day, I always remind myself that, you know, this is one of the most important things that we can be tackling. So it's it's worth it to show up every single day. The hard work, the challenges, they're all worth it because fundamentally we're talking about not just feeding the people of today, but all of the people of tomorrow that that don't exist yet, right? So um, it's an unlimited fuel source when you're thinking about solving the global food system. Um, it's 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 exciting and it's it's fun work to be a part of. That's awesome. That's awesome. I have a feeling people listening are going to want to know a little bit more about Omi. What's a good place to point them? Is it the website, social media? Where would you say? Yeah, I mean, check out the website, um, you know, omi.com. We're there's, you know, not much there right now. Um, you know, we're, we're not yet uh, selling selling Omi in, in stores or in restaurants, but hope to be soon. Um, follow me on LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, I, I, I wax poetically about cultivated meat all day, every day. So there's plenty of good content there. Um, and I think, you know, just 
you know, getting plugged in with, with the space in general, there's a lot of exciting work coming. There's over 100 cultivated meat companies around the world. Everyone's approaching this a little bit differently. It's a young industry and it's a very exciting industry that's growing very quickly. So I, I definitely encourage people to, to just, you know, read up about cultivated meat and, and just, you know, get more involved in the space in general. That's awesome. Lovely. Thanks for joining us. This is good stuff. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Hey everyone, we've learned a lot from this podcast series and we've put the good stuff in a handful of PDF frameworks. It's topics like messaging, channel strategy, and market fit. You can grab them at nativedigital.com slash resources.